Amen. How are you guys doing this morning? Isn't it great? It's amazing to see the sun outside, isn't it? It's just amazing, kind of like Suzanne said. And uh, Suzanne, I don't really feel like I need to preach after your communion and offering stuff. Just uh, amazing. Um, I, I, I will... <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Feeling the love. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I also want to let you guys know that uh, not everything is as seems. Um, they're, they're, the people up here leading worship, just letting you know, uh, it's been a rough week for several people. Emily uh, here uh, experienced the death of a family member this week, and, and it's been weighing on her quite a bit. And John was so sick, he dropped lower than the stock market uh, this week. And uh, for him even being able to stand up here, uh, it's just, just an amazing way that, that God uses people that may be off uh, you know, may, maybe not having the best week, not having the, the not not all cylinders firing, and yet they're still up here and doing, uh, allowing the grace of God to flow through them. And isn't that just amazing? Just incredible that God would use us in in that way. Um, today, y'all, we are. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Dave, and we are in a the year long theme this year at Catalyst is the adventure. And it's based off a line that says, the uh, people who see life as a great spiritual adventure rarely have time for rebellion. And so we're in a series right now called What Kills the Great Adventure. And we're in part five, and it's called uh, The Adventure Never Happens for Those Who Isolate Themselves from People Jesus Specifically Served. I'm going to ask you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. And, um, and we're going to be there the entire time, so go ahead and turn there. If you want to pull up your YouVersion Bible app, you can find our outline there. If you go to uh, the YouVersion Bible app, and go to your drop-down menu, you go to events, you can find our outline there. You can follow along. You should have an, an outline in the bulletin. If you don't have that, you can follow along with us on the screen. Um, but I want to ask you to turn there. So if you go throughout the Gospels of, uh, in the New Testament, you'll see a wide variety of people that Jesus served. Uh, the Bible does not record him going to place of businesses or, or presidential palaces or, or anything like that. Um, if you go through, you see him interacting with a blind man named Bartimaeus, a widow that just lost her only child, 10 people afflicted with leprosy, a paralyzed man whose friends lowered him through the roof. Now, I don't know how I would like that. If Jesus was at my house and people made a hole in my roof and lowered people through, but that's what, that's what happened. Um, a, a prostitute who washed his feet with her tears. A man possessed with demons that lived among the tombs. A poor woman had been crippled for 18 years. Little children. And this is hardly what you would expect from somebody named the Son of God. He was not in the positions of power and prestige. He was among what the Bible refers to as the least of these. Everybody say the least of these. Least of these, okay? One thing they all had in common was they were referred to as the least of these, but what does that mean? Well, this is what it means. The least of these, biblically, are people that are at the bottom of society. The people that could disappear and no one would ever notice. That's what the term least of these means. Um, in, in, in a school, for example, the least of these are the unpopular, the uncool, the losers, the nerds, geeks, the bottom of the food chain, the kid that sits in the corner that doesn't take showers and smells bad and no one wants to be friends with. That is the least 
of these. In society, it is the poor person, the incarcerated, the elderly, the widow, the orphan, the unborn, the people that people just don't want to see. That's who the least of these refers to. Um, like I said, the entire, this, is, this year is the adventure. And people who sp- see life as a spiritual adventure don't have time for rebellion. And it, the, the reason that we're talking about this is that I see a lot, especially in my life, a lot of chances for the adventure, but I miss it. I miss it. And we're going to talk about why. Uh, the first thing that we have to understand is that Jesus sees no difference between him and the least of these. We have to get this. If you don't get this first point, you won't understand anything about Matthew 25, 31 through uh, 46. And in this parable, Jesus gathered, he, he has all his people in front of him, and he says, at the end of, at the end of time, I'm going to gather all the nations in front of me, and I'm going to separate people from the, the, the left from the right. And I'm going to say to these people on my right, come, hey, eternal life is for you. I was hungry, and I was thirsty. You gave me some food. You gave me something to drink. I was sick. I was in prison, and you came to see me. And they'll say, when did we ever see you? And they said, and, and Jesus will say, what you did for the least of these You've done for me. And he'll say to the people on his left, that this is no judgment on people sitting here. This is just a parable, okay? I'm not saying, he's just getting everybody right. So he'll say to the people on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's not a very nice thing to say, is it? Why? Well, he says this, because I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. I was sick and in prison, you didn't come to see me. And they'll say, Lord, when do we ever see you? And say, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. See, it was the Catholic saints, y'all, that first brought us the idea of Jesus being incarnational. Everybody say incarnational. Incarnational, okay? The word incarnational means something becoming flesh and blood, okay? Jesus becoming flesh and blood. Catholics have always been into the incarnation, Okay, uh, in communion, they believe that the bread and wine, the communion that we took, literally become the body and the blood of Jesus. In the Christian church, they believe that the bread remains bread and the wine becomes grape juice. Okay, that, that's what we believe. Um, but it was St. Francis of Assisi who was the first one to take Matthew 25 and say that Jesus was incarnational with the poor, that how, what, what we do to the, to the least of these, what we don't do to the least are literally what we do to Jesus, okay? So when you serve the poor, you aren't serving the poor, you're serving Jesus. When you adopt an orphan, you're not adopting an orphan, you're adopting Jesus. When you visit someone in prison, you are not visiting a prisoner, you're visiting Jesus. That's what he taught. And that's good theology. If we read Matthew 25, 31 through 46, we see Jesus makes no difference between himself and the least of these. And, and I, I heard this one time. I was in youth ministry. I was doing youth ministry in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And um, one of the, our big draws was a middle school called Hawkins Middle School. Anybody watch Stranger Things? Okay, Hawkins Middle School, is, is, that is literally where more than half of our kids came from. And I would go to have lunch there all the time. And one time when I was done eating lunch, um, I was walking out, having had a great time with our kids, and I heard this thud. And I turned around, and there were two guys in a fight. 
And the larger one had, ta- had tackled the younger one and drew back his fist and punched the kid as hard as he could in the face. Drew back again, and I, gra- I grabbed his arm. Fortunately, this was middle schooler. And I dragged him, grabbed him by his arm, and I, and I held him up here, and, and I took both of them down to the office. Well, the poor kid who had gotten punched, the smaller kid, the guy who got beat up, I recognized as a kid that had started coming to our youth ministry. He was a sixth grader. The kid that was beating him up was an eighth grader. And, um, and so I, I talked with him a little bit. His face was bleeding and was bruised. And, um, and I, 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 I just kind of helped calm him down a little bit. The other, other kid broke up that fight. About a month later, we were going to CIY, uh, going to CIY Believe. It's a, it's a middle school ministry thing. And the kid who had gotten beaten up, I asked him if he wanted to go, and he said uh, uh, his, his family didn't go to our church, but, but he always came up to youth ministry on Wednesday night, and, and I said, uh, would you like to come? He said, I'd love to. And uh, on the day of, uh, he called me and told me he couldn't go, and I said, why? He said, well, and he kind of stammered out something. I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm coming to pick you up, and he, and, and he said, please don't, and I said, doesn't matter, I'm, I'm coming to pick you up, so I drove over to his house to to pick him up. There were 20 cars out in front of his house. And um, I thought, my goodness, what is going on here? So I walk up, and he meets me at the door. And, and he, said, um, he said, okay, well, let, let's go. Close the door behind him very, very quickly. And I said, hang on, I, I, I have to get permission slip from your mom. And his eyes got real big. And he said, please don't. And I said, you can't go without permission slip. And I said, what's going on here? And he just kind of dropped his head and he opened the door. I walked into this front room, and I kid you not, there were at least 15 adults sitting on the floor, blankets over the window, needles in arms, water bongs. It's a drug house. And I looked, and the mom was sitting there, stoned. And, and I said, I need you to sign this. This vacant, hollow stare that she gave me. Do you know who I was? Got a pen, signed, watched the kid walk out. And the kid was so embarrassed and so just devastated that I'd seen that, that that's where he came from. And as we walked to the car, he looked at me and he said, you won't say anything, will you? And I said, I didn't come here for them. I came here for you. I'm glad you're going on CIY with us. And it's this, I realized, was the least of these. This was a kid. It was a forgotten kid. he gotten beat up at school. He lived in a drug house. He wasn't safe at school. He wasn't safe in his home. So I decided right then and there he was going to be safe at church. He was going to be safe in our youth group. And I determined right then and there that I was going to be more intentional about finding the least of these because I had no idea this kid even existed.
And as that kid got in my car and went to CIY with us and had a great time, and I watched him down front worshiping with the rest of our, of our kids, I had this eerie sensation that it was Jesus traveling with us. Because that's who it was. Jesus sees no difference between himself and the least of these. He's incarnational with the least. And I wish that Jesus would have stopped the parable when he said, come to to eternal life. I wish he would have stopped there because it would have been so amazing if, if he would have just said, for I was hungry and you fed me and I was thirsty, you, you gave me something to drink and I was sick and in prison you came to see me. I wish he would have stopped it there because it would have been so much more amazing, but he didn't. He continued and he shows us the danger of this theology because he goes on and says, depart from me, you who are cursed, because I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty. You didn't give me something to drink. I was sick in prison. You didn't come to see me. And the people, look at the reaction of the people. They will, they will ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? They are genuinely perplexed and confused because the Bible says nothing about them. They were not mean to the poor. They, were not, they, were, they didn't exploit them. They didn't make fun of them. They didn't beat them up. They didn't do, they didn't do anything to anybody. And they were genuinely perplexed and confused on why Jesus would speak to them so harshly. And this text is extremely dangerous because the ones on his left really didn't do anything wrong. I would imagine, at least that they knew of, they hadn't oppressed the poor, they hadn't ridiculed or mocked or hadn't stolen from anybody, hadn't abused them in any way. They'd just gone about their normal day and this is, where I think, I don't know if Jesus knew he was speaking to American Christians in 2020, but he is. Because I think that these people on the left have just kind of gone about their day. They'd gotten up in the morning, they'd showered, they'd fit breakfast, they'd gotten their kids ready for school, they'd gone to work, they'd worked hard, they provided for their family, they put a roof over their heads, they took vacations, they invested in the 401k, they coached baseball, they'd gone to church. They hadn't actively done anything to anyone. The danger is that they're just like us, or we are just like them. They had no idea. Their entire lives they neglected Jesus. They had no idea, and that's why it's so dangerous. And why had they neglected Jesus? Was it because they were evil people? Were they terrible, they mean, awful people? No, it is this, get this. They had edited Jesus out of their lives, okay? We in America are in danger of editing Jesus out of our lives. See guys, I can wake up in the morning, I can get in my car, and I can drive from my car to drop my son off to school and get to work and do my work and go home and coach soccer and everything like this and never, never see an orphan, never see a person that's incarcerated, never see a person that's sick because I've edited them out of my life, as have most of us. That's the problem. Jesus doesn't mention the good stuff. He just never mentions a synagogue or a church or worship. 
I don't know why he doesn't mention those things, but I believe those are important times of connection with Jesus, and I'll never say otherwise. But here's the thing. You and I, our way of life here in America, we have edited Jesus out. And I, I, I'm, I'm the exact same way. You know how many times I've read Matthew 25? I was 36 years old before I ever set foot in a prison. Why? Was it because I hated people in prison? No, I just didn't know where the prison was. I didn't know anyone in prison. I had no reason to go there. I was 38 years old before ever, uh, I'm sorry, 32 years old before I ever sponsored an orphan. Was it because I hated orphans? No, it wasn't that. It's just I didn't see them. They were invisible to me. And I was in danger of like so many people going through my entire life and never, ever seeing Jesus who was found in the hungry and the thirsty and the incarcerated and the sick and the orphan, the unborn, the most vulnerable, the least. And see, the thing is, people, is that when you realize that, that our society is set up to never see Jesus, then we have to think about what we are doing, and we have to be intentional. See, I'm almost envious of my friends in Nepal and India. Do you know why? Because over there, the least of these are outside their front door. There are starving people on the side of the road. You can see them. There are orphan children roaming around trying to, you know, digging in dumpsters and, and everything. You can actually see them. They're, they're, that you can't go to town without seeing them. And you can walk down the street and say, do you have parents? No, come, come be part of my orphanage. You can do that. that, that they're, they're in front of you the whole time. Here in America, our structures are so good. We have foster care so we never see the orphans. We have good hospitals, so we never see the sick. In prisons, our prisons provide food for, for inmates over in Mozambique and places like that. If your family doesn't give you food, you starve in prison. We're able to go through our entire lives and never, ever see the people that Jesus specifically served and calls us to. Don't ever miss that. So, guys, I'm telling you, it is time for a mindset shift. The adventure is waiting and so here's a time for a mindset shift. The first thing we have to understand is that the hungry, the thirsty, the incarcerated, the sick, the orphan, the neglected, the addict, the poor, the unborn child, the widow, the unpopular kid at school, the abused, the powerless, the geek, the nerd, the loser, Jesus says how you treat them is how you treat me. He sees no difference between them. You love them, he says. Catholic Christian Church, if you're loving those people that I just mentioned, then you're loving me. If you're serving those people and you're serving me, and if you're neglecting them, you're neglecting me. If you're abusing them, you're abusing me. That's what Jesus said. We have to get that in our minds. That's why we do prison ministry. That's why we go to, that's why I teach the fatherhood class. That's why we try to get people involved in the prison ministry because we're not going there to see incarcerated felons. We're going to see Jesus. And every time I see a person in orange in my classes, I have this eerie sensation that Jesus is looking right back at me. Yearly mission trip to Honduras to the kids with cancer. They're not going down to see kids with cancer. They're going to see Jesus. 
The trip to India this year is called the least of these trips because we're going to the poorest and most neglected people in India. We're going to, to, to serve people in a leper colony. We're not serving lepers, we're serving Jesus. We're not going to, see, to serve people that, have, that are blind. We're going to serve Jesus. We're going to see Jesus. And when you realize that Jesus is out there waiting to be loved in the poorest, in the neglected, in the, the unborn, and the adoptive, in the foster kid, you will t- your entire mindset will change. I can think of no more vulnerable person in society than the unborn. Can you? I can't think of anyone more vulnerable than the unborn. And what Jesus says, what you did to the least of these you've done to me that should make us tremble He sees no difference between himself and the unborn child. Since Roe versus Wade in 1973, there have been 61,628,584 abortions. What we've done to the least, we've done to Jesus. But hear this, the scared pregnant mother who thinks that there is no other option, that's the least of these two. She's the least of these. How we treat her is how we treat Jesus. Our work in the church can't only be for the unborn child. It must also be for the mom and the dad who've been lied to about their child that's just a clump of cells, that it does not bear the image of God, that there's nothing special, that the easy way out it's the abortion. We have to be, have, we have to, uh, be ministering to them as well. They've been deceived into believing that their precious child is not God's creation. And our ministry must be to them as well. Let's continue to proclaim that all human life bears the image of God. Why? Because where where you find the least of these, you find Jesus. And how we treat all human life is how we treat Jesus. Our mindset shifts. We begin to realize that we encounter Jesus every day in the people that we meet. Every hour, every minute in the people we meet, every interaction with people becomes a precious moment where we interact with Jesus. That's how Jesus set it up. And when we adopt that mindset, everything is peaches, right? Everything's great, wonderful. Sorry. If you really get serious about what Jesus says here, you will find this, point number two, that the least of these will break your heart. I wish I could say that every father that I serve in jail turns out to be this amazing father off the drugs and invest in their kids. Nope. Not even most of them. I, I, I wish I could say that every person that's adopted a kid, the adoption has gone great. It's been peaches and, and cream. It's been amazing. No. Nope. I know children that are adopted by parents that when they grow up, they reject the parents, they, and, and the parents' hearts are broken. I wish I could say that every single time I've invested in someone, I've helped uh, somebody with a, with a light bill or someone with, pay, a, 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 pay something, that they were thankful and grateful and they became lifelong friends. Nope. Anyone who's ever helped someone out knows that those are the people that will criticize you the most. I don't know why. The more you help someone, 
quite honestly, a lot of times, the more they hate you. And you will get so discouraged, people, serving the least of these that will make you want to throw your hands up and quit. You will rescue someone out of an addiction lifestyle and you will provide for them and everything, and you'll watch them go right back to the addicted lifestyle and you feel like you've wasted your time. You will save, some, save a, a, a female or a, a, from, a, from a, an abusive relationship and you will try to help them and you watch them go right back to it. You'll invest two years of your life in to try to disciple someone into Christ and watch them walk away from the church and call you names while they're doing it. You will get so discouraged you won't even want to try anymore and you will say, I've failed. No, you haven't. Hear this, you have not failed, and this is why. Because God never called you to be successful. He never called you to save people. He never called you to change people. If, you, if he called you to do that, your name would be the Holy Spirit. Okay? Your job is not to be successful. Your job is to be faithful. We, people, are faithful, and we leave the results up to God. You are incapable of changing so much as a single thought in someone's mind without their consent. You are not the Holy Spirit. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit. Simply do what Jesus said and let God handle the results. You be faithful. Gauge your success with how faithful you have been, not how successful you have been. Because if you try to gauge your, your, your success, or you try to gauge whether you've succeeded or failed on your success rate with the least of these, you will be discouraged beyond imagine. I will ask that you simply be faithful and let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. You be the servant. Let him do the changing. And to all of you, myself included, who've had your heart broken multiple times by people you've tried to save or serve, my only thing that I can tell you is this, your reward is in heaven. What you have done has not gone unnoticed by your heavenly Father. And that's all I have for you. That's all I got. Your reward is in heaven. You parents who have adopted children that have broken your heart, your reward's in heaven. You've been faithful. You people that have served the homeless only be taken advantage of, your reward's in heaven. People that have tried to reach addicts and try, maybe have your heart broken by a child or a spouse or something who's an addict that has stolen money from you, you tried and you've just been taken advantage of, your reward's in heaven. It is. That's all I have for you. And I also say, Thank you, because it wasn't wasted time. But this is the truth, too. Your most worthwhile things in life, the things that you will treasure in your life will be the moments you spent with the least of these. And I will tell you that. If anybody thinks life is boring, life is lame, life is everything like that, you have not been among the least of these. If you are bored, lame, if, if, if life is purposeless, I want to suggest to you that you go serve, you go be among the least of these because, man, I'm telling you, that's where the adventure is and your most significant moments will be there. One of my favorite moments among the least of these, favorite moments, I loved it. It was my second class in the Fayette County Detention Center. 
And when I got done teaching class, this monster of a guy, probably 6'4", 300-something pounds, blocked my way. I was going out of the cell, blocked my way. And he goes, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He had a tattered Bible. And he goes, I'm trying to change my life. He goes, but I made a lot of mistakes. He goes, I've got 14 kids by 11 different women. He goes, I have no idea how I'm going to do this father stuff you're talking about. So I'm trying, for, I'm trying to, and he had a teardrop. He said, I've killed people. He goes, do you think God's going to hold that against me? And you could hear a pin drop in the cell because every guy in there wanted to know what I had to say. Put on the spot right there. And one of those moments where the Holy Spirit just speaks to you, I said, well, let's find out what Jesus said to someone like you. Open up to Luke chapter 23, the crucifixion. One criminal on his right, one criminal on his left. One criminal hurled insults at Jesus. I, I, I picked up his Bible and I said, I said one criminal say, uh, hurled his insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, said, shut up. Shut up. Don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? We're here justly. We're getting what our deeds deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. So I said, and, and then I said this. Then Jesus turns, and then he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And through the pain of the cross, Jesus turns his head and says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I closed the Bible and I handed it back to the man. And I said, Jesus said that to a criminal. I said, why would he say anything different to you? And the guy was quiet. And he goes, is there any more stuff in there like that? And I said, yeah, there's a lot. And he goes, I don't read so good. I said, so well. No, I'm kidding. I didn't correct him. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't. No, no. And I said, I said, well, I'll tell you what. You want to read, you want to hear the scriptures? I love reading the scriptures. Why don't we take 10 minutes after class every day? Every, every time I'm here, and I'll read you the Bible. And so it was really neat. After class each time, me and this big, huge monster of a guy sat down in the common area and I read the Bible to him. It's amazing. I'll never, I'll never forget that moment. That moment will be part of my eternity and probably on my deathbed when I can't remember anything, I will remember that. And I can remember this past fall, my son and I went over to India to help dedicate our new school, a new orphanage. And we were in the car driving up, and we pulled in, and there was a, a detail of our children lined up in formation, standing at attention in their new school clothes, orphan kids that had nothing except for what people in this church have so gracefully provided them. Seeing them in their new school clothes, maybe for the first time being dignified with their new home behind them. And we got out, and we got in the middle, and they formed a security detail and marched us 
to the stage where people from the community and the kids from the orphanage were. We had a ceremony, we prayed, we celebrated, and then as a community, people that didn't even have children there, weren't even part of the ministry, but wanted to be part of this moment, whole community was there. And we walked, and we opened, there were ribbons, and we cut the ribbons to every single classroom and they said, this is going to be for the fourth grade. This is going to be for the third grade. This is going to be for the second grade. And the, the people would just celebrate and they cheered. Watching people who had nothing and who were the least and the most neglected people having a place to call their own. That, po- that moment will be part of my t- eternity. And I remember going upstairs to the dorms where they were going to stay, having new beds and new rooms. Orphan's dream come true. And this one little kid about this big grabbed me by like this, and he goes, that's my bed. Yeah. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't a little kid that said, that's my bed. It was Jesus that said, that's my bed. Jesus sees no difference between the least and him. I want to invite the band to come on back up. The adventure never happens for those who isolate themselves from those Jesus specifically served. You get out among the least. You get out and you seek Jesus. You will have your heart broken. You will. That's part of the adventure. You will also have the most amazing, most significant moments you've ever had. And to every young person in here who has told their parents, I'm bored. This is lame. This is boring. Let me suggest to you, the reason you're bored, the reason everything is lame, is because you have isolated yourself away from the people Jesus said to go to. Nothing boring about the least of these. And to a world that is suffering from lack of purpose, lack of passion, lack of direction, full of anxiety and worry, I tell you, Jesus is out there waiting to be loved in the poor, the neglected, the, 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 the orphan, the unborn. He's waiting to be loved. And when we do missions, We don't so much take Jesus with us as we go and we meet Jesus where he is. I would love to see people at Cattles Christian Church get serious about the least of these because that's where Jesus says he can be found. I want to invite you to stand and worship with us. If your heart has been moved and stirred, I want to know about decisions that the Holy Spirit is calling you to make Let's stand, let's worship as a church. And don't forget, after church, all God's children, it's gonna be right back there. If you've been, if you've been touched, if you want to get in, in the, involved in the life of Jesus himself, here's how you can do it. God bless you.